There are probably enough books written about Thomas Jefferson to fill every square inch of his estate at Monticello, about everything from his authorship of the Declaration of Independence to his influence on American architecture. But Jefferson scholars still have much to learn about what life was like for the many slaves who were held as part of the Monticello property. And that's where the tools of archaeology can help. On a breezy day in the middle of June, a team of student archaeologists participating in a field school on the Monticello estate are busy trialing an excavation unit in a clearing down from Jefferson Stately Home. This group is led by Sarah Bon Harper, Monticello's archaeological research manager. The homes of enslaved African Americans are in general not mentioned in Jefferson's copious documents. Um, Site 8, for example, is not mentioned at all. And through the research that we've done here, through excavation, we have first identified the site, and that was through um, the Monticello Plantation Archaeological Survey in the winter of 1997. Since beginning the survey in 1997, archaeologists have dug 12,000 holes all across Monticello in search of artifacts that might uncover structures that once existed on the mountain. These holes are known as shovel test pits, or STPs. Their survey helped identify regions of interest, such as the 300 by 400 foot section of land known as the Monticello Home Farm Quarter, made up of Site 7 and Site 8, where Bon Harper and her team are currently working. And since then, we've been excavating 5 by 5 foot excavation squares um, to further understand the site. And we've also found evidence of four houses here. As you look around, you can see that there's no evidence of architecture at all. You would not even know that there was a site because the artifacts aren't visible on the ground. So there's nothing in a walkover that you would recognize. And there's also nothing in the historical records about any houses ever being built on the relatively flat land that makes up Site 8, although there is record of an overseer's house at Site 7. Bon Harper and her team have dug over 275 by 5 excavation squares at Site 7 and 8 as a way of peering back into the past. I don't know if you can really see this. She shows me a group of excavation squares from last year's field school and describes what the area would look like if unveiled from beneath its protective covering of black plastic. Um, all, you, all you see when you look in these squares, you, know, you see the red clay subsoil, and then you see the, um, what we call features, when the fill of those is a slightly different color from the red clay subsoil around. And that's uh, the only architectural evidence that we have for the houses here on Site 8. The houses date back to the late 18th century and only existed for a few decades at most. Jefferson was a curious man who pursued many agricultural interests, and he likely considered the land on which these houses stood as valuable for his experiments. Bon Harper explains that as the land went from residential use to farm use, a very distinct imprint was left on the layers of clay underneath where we're standing. The site after occupation was plowed, uh, which completely changes the archaeological record. Um, usually you imagine, you know, old world archaeology where you've got layers and layers and then finally after many feet you dig down and find um, the period you're looking for. Whereas here um, our excavation units are fairly shallow um, and all that we're digging um, is a plow zone. Jefferson's decision to farm on Site 8, displacing his slaves, can be traced back to a switch in emphasis from hoe-cultivated tobacco, which can grow anywhere, to small grain crops cultivated with plows, which require a flat surface. But archaeologists can not only track Jefferson's changing interests through studying the soil, they can also deduce what slave life was like by studying the placement of slave houses. Sometimes um, we see that 
Um, the, the later houses, for example, are more isolated. Um, sometimes they're closer to water sources, and both of those could be positives. Um, not living directly under the gaze of an overseer um, may have been um, a trade-off for living on more slopey land. More slopey land, of course, is more inconvenient if you're having your own vegetable garden, for example, or just moving about in the exterior domestic space. So how do the researchers manage to make these assessments? Well, as each square is dug, the dirt is sifted through quarter-inch mesh into a wheelbarrow, hopefully exposing any artifact bigger than a quarter-inch. When artifacts are found, they're placed in a bag and sent to the Monticello Department of Archaeology lab, where they'll be analyzed. Objects might include nail fragments, glass from wine bottles slaves would use to transport water, and shards of pottery. Slaves had a wide range of uh, ceramics um, purchased um, as well as um, procured through other ways. Um, we. I think as archaeologists um, for a while have come away from the idea that um, slaves just had hand-me-downs. Um, that's really an outdated idea now. Um, we know that slaves were buying and had a certain element of consumer choice. Sometimes we find uh, personal items like buttons and utensils, sometimes forks and knives, I think a spoon handle. When a lot of artifacts are found in one place, archaeologists explore the surrounding soil to see what else might be found. Statistical analyses help direct the search for remains of houses on the site, but what the team hopes to find to confirm the locations of these houses is what Bon Harper refers to as a feature, meaning an imprint left by some kind of structure. So these log houses smack on the ground surface just ground earth floors, okay, the ground was the floor. Um, and, of course, furniture was somewhat scarce, and um, they would have dug into the clay under the floor, under the, you know, under the house, um, into the floor, and then laid planks over, or laid boards over, and that was the storage box. Bon Harper can see the storage box because the color of the clay is slightly different, as she explains in more detail. And so the background red is the subsoil, and that means you're down. This is as deep as it needs to go. Um, but then we look for um, different colors, different patterns. Um, I don't know if you can really see this, but around this rock, and in this area, there's um, this bright orange flecking and some charcoal flecking. And those things, together with a slightly darker or mottled color here, um, let you know that this is not intact subsoil, that someone at one point dug something out of here and then it was filled in um, with a slightly different material. At this field school, she monitors the work of all the students and concludes each day with a site visit where work is shared. Um, while we started, we had the tree fall to kind of work with. Obviously, um, that brought a lot of sediment into the north part of our square. But, um, Before lab results come back on artifacts, the scholars discuss what they might once have been. See, um, it could be like scratch blue. Did they scratch blue, but with the green version? I didn't think so. <laughs> oh, it wasn't. This is the white salt place. <laughs> oh, this is white salt place. Yeah, it's white salt place. It is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they use green sometimes. I've never Sweet. seen green on white That's, salt. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's really rare. rare. Yeah, it's really rare. 
Whether it be a rare find like this, or simply a confirmation of historical records, archaeology is a crucial tool for historical sites across the world. It's a lot more than simply digging. For Monticello, I'm Sean Tubbs. But what about that, like, tortoise shelly looking stuff on the inside?